Well, I haven't informed the elders of this yet, but I'm going to do something a little bit radical this morning, and I'll probably get in trouble, but they'll forgive me. I'm young, and uh, I, I want to launch this morning another building project. It's building project number two. The first one's going so well that I figured, why not have another one? So I'm going to launch that this morning, except this building project will be a little different. I wonder what some of you thought when you drove up and you saw the sermon title, Breaking the Power of Sin. And I wonder what you would do or how you would respond if, if someone came up to you and said, you know, I've really been struggling with sin. I've really been struggling with anger or worry or lust, pride, selfishness. Can you please help me? I don't know how to break the power of sin in my life. I wonder what you would say to them. How would you respond to that question? Maybe you talk about you need to have a disciplined Bible reading schedule. You need to really have a consistent prayer life. You need to get regular fellowship. Start serving in the body. Maybe you'd say, get into an accountability group right away. And start memorizing some scriptures. And you know what? All those are, are absolutely right on. And good. And they're biblical. But this morning, I'm going to call those windows. And doors. And frames. And roofs. And walls. Because... In our building project, we need to have those things, do we not? We need to have good walls. We need to have windows. We need to have doors set up. To get an effective building, you need to have all of that. But that's not where you start a building project, is it? Where do you start a building project? The foundation. You must have the foundation in before you can ever think about putting windows up or, or doors on or, or putting a roof on top for certain. And for our new building project called Breaking the Power of Sin, we need to lay the foundation. Because some of you, at least the honest ones, some of you struggle with sin. And I want you to think this morning, what is that sin for you personally? What is that pet sin, that sin which takes you down time and time again? Is it anxiety? Is it worry? Is it so hard for you to give over circumstances and people to the Lord? Is it anger? Can you not control that anger within you, that lashing out? Maybe it's pride or selfishness. Does your whole world revolve around you? Maybe it's criticalness. Maybe you have a tongue that just cannot stop gossiping and just tears people down. Or maybe it's lust. Maybe lust has such a stronghold on your neck that it just keeps you right there in its hold and you can't seem to break free of it. Well, you need to evaluate your foundation. And this morning out of Romans 6, you're going to find three keys which will unlock the chain of sin in your life. So that you may have a solid foundation and break the power of sin. 
Let's turn to Romans 6, 1 and start pouring the cement. Romans 6 starts with a question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. In this section of scripture, you're going to find God's solution for breaking the power of sin. But I want to make one observation first. This is chapter six. Up till now, there's already been five chapters of information that Paul has written about. So we need to get a little bit of background first. As the Holy Spirit worked through the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the Romans, to the, to the believers in Rome, a group of people which, for the most part, he had never met, something very interesting happens. We're not exactly sure why he wrote the book of Romans, But we do know one thing. It contains one of the clearest presentations of the gospel that we have in the scriptures. It could be that since Paul had never met these people, he wanted to get them on the same page. He wanted to relate to them and he wanted them to understand exactly what the gospel was. It could also be that he wanted to enlist their help in his missionary ventures. He was going on to do further missions. He wants the Romans to help him out, to be a part of his team. And so he gives the gospel. Hey, we're on the same page. I need your help. Could be. Or it could be that he wanted to unify the Jews and Gentiles into one group. There was division in the church. Division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he wanted to say, listen, in the gospel, we are all on the same page. And you need to be unified within that gospel framework. So it could have been a combination of those. We're not exactly sure. But one thing we do know for absolutely certain is that he makes a big deal of the gospel. And you know that up till chapter six, there's not even been one command for the Christian life yet. Not even one. 
It's all foundation building. He deals with concepts like we're all sinners. Jew, Gentile, everyone. We're all sinners. He deals with concepts like how to get right with God. That it's only through Jesus Christ that you get right with God. And that that only happens through this thing called faith. And faith alone, no works will ever do it for you. And he moves through these major concepts of the gospel through the first five chapters. And as he, as he closes off chapter five, he really hits on the whole idea of grace. And take a look at it there in chapter five, verse 20. Right before our chapter, 520 reads like this. And I want you to note what he says about grace. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's just made a big deal about grace. We see it there in chapter 5. And as he moves into chapter 6, look at the first statement he makes there in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? What he does is he, he addresses this hypothetical opponent. Maybe this is some question that Paul had heard everywhere he had gone to share the gospel. Where he had these opponents who said, Oh, I, I see, Paul. I see your theology of grace. Just, just sin all you want because grace is going to cover it. Well, then I might as well just sin all the more. Because the more I sin, the more grace I get. So I'm just going to sin, sin, sin. And he deals with that in verse 1. Are we to continue in sin so that we can get more grace? Well, there's something fundamentally wrong with this opponent. There's something at the foundation level that's not right. And in rebuking this opponent, Paul gives us three keys that will unlock the power over sin in our lives. Look here in verse 2. He's responding to the question, shall we keep sinning to get more grace? And his answer in verse 2, no. May it never be. That's as strong as you can get in the Greek to say absolutely not. He refutes that question outright. Well, why, Paul? Why not? And he gives his reason there in verse 2 in the form of a question. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And you might be thinking, what kind of answer is that? How does that answer the question? How does that prove his point? What does this talk about dying and death? I don't feel dead. I'm not dead. How does this relate to me? And I want you to try to stay with me this morning. Because some of these concepts in here, they're difficult. They're hard to get our minds around. And you know what? You're not going to walk away this morning with a complete understanding of everything in here. That's not the purpose. But I want you to follow Paul's argument in the next nine verses because he's going to give us his reasons for saying that. I'll try to give you something that helps. Maybe this picture will help you to kind of stick with the argument. I want you to take a look at that drum cage over there. Okay, and I'm going I'm to give that drum cage a name. I'm going to call that the drum cage of sin. Okay, drum cage of sin. I'm not insinuating anything about Brian Nichols, okay? 
But we're going to call that this morning the drum cage of sin. And I want you to picture on that drum cage three locks on the door. Triple lock, that door is locked in. And I want you to picture yourself as a Christian, talking to Christians this morning. As a Christian, I want you to picture yourself in the drum cage, locked in, three locks on the door. And we're going to call that the drum cage of sin. Now, if there's three locks on the door, then you need three keys in order to get out of that drum cage of sin. Three keys. And key number one, if you're taking notes is this know your union with Christ know your union with Christ where do I get this look at verse 3 as I read this I want you to notice which terms I'm emphasizing verse 3 of chapter 6 or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death therefore we have been Buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. So we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul is going to make his case. He's going to prove his point by talking about union with christ and in order to explain this union with christ he gives us a very vivid picture he gives us the picture of baptism now just so you guys know when when the romans back in the early church age talked about baptism it was a little different than the way we view it today here's what happened you'd go into a city Share the gospel. If people repented and they believed in Christ and they got saved, the next thing you did was let's find a lake or a pond or some deep vat of water that we can baptize you in. I mean, it was, it was the instant thing you did after, con- after conversion. You got baptized. Now, we tend to take more time. and There's nothing right or wrong about waiting or not. But they did it right after the person confessed salvation. And so when the Romans would think back to baptism, they would be thinking back to the whole conversion experience. And I'm not saying that Romans thought they were saved through baptism. That's not it at all. The Bible does not teach that. But they would think back and it would remind them of their conversion. And if you've ever seen a baptism, which most of you probably have, and if you haven't, you can come tonight. See your first one right up there. But if you've ever seen a baptism, you know what happens, right? In the pit, the person is given their testimony, and we take them, we dunk them under the water, and bring them back up. Have you ever thought about why? Why do we do that? Well, it should remind us of what Christ did. That's, that's the symbolism that's involved in the baptism. That Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's the symbolism. He died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And that should go right along with your conversion experience. That is the essential nature of the gospel. But the picture of baptism also does another thing. It tells you that you did the same things. Christ died, rose again, but guess what? So did you. You, in some way, 
not physically, obviously, but some way you died and you rose again with Christ, with Christ. That's the union we're talking about here with Christ. And because you have a union with Christ, when Christ died, you died. When he rose, you rose. That's the idea. That's union with Christ. When Jesus explained this to Nicodemus in John 3, he called it being born again. And we get a vivid picture of it in our baptism. And I want you to think about that, especially those who come back tonight. When you watch the baptisms up here, think about the symbolism of Christ dying and rising again. So we're starting to pour the cement a little bit. We're pouring in the cement. Key number one to get out of that cage is you must know your union with Christ. You must know that for every Christian, you have this unbreakable union, which means that when Christ died, you died. And when Christ rose from the dead, you rose from the dead in some way. And we're going to get into that some way with key number two. Know you are dead to sin. Key number two, know you are dead to sin. So, so far we've seen that in order to effectively break out of the cage, in order to lay this foundation, you first have to understand union with Christ. And when we said with union with Christ, you died, what does that mean exactly? Since you didn't die physically, what does it mean? And verses six and seven, explain it. Take a look there. No, you are dead to sin. Verse six, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Track with me here and let's work through verse six. Knowing this, there's something we need to know in our minds. We need to grasp right up here. Knowing this, knowing what? That our old self was crucified with him. Well, well, what does that mean? Well, one, it should bring to your minds Christ's crucifixion. That's why he uses the term crucified. So we should be thinking of the cross. We should be thinking of Christ dying on the cross. But what is the old self? Well, it's, we're going to expand that definition as we go. But just, just to start, the old self is the old you. If you're a Christian, it's the you before conversion. If you're not a Christian, you're still the old self. Okay, it's the old you before salvation. Well, what is this old you like and and why did it need to be crucified? Look at the next part in verse six. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Your body of sin had to be done away with this body, which was under the control and thrall of sin. Had to be done away with or literally expelled. Now, occasionally in youth ministry, which is where I spend a lot of my time, occasionally a student, and this is very rare, but a student will misbehave. It has happened even at Calvary Bible Church. They'll misbehave. And sometimes they do it at school in the presence of their friends. And, um, and, and what will happen is I'll have to deal with a kid who's suspended. Now, when a kid gets suspended... He's out for two or three days. Okay, he goes back to school. Okay, sometimes it's not so much a punishment, but he gets suspended. Now, now when it's really severe, though, they don't just suspend him. They expel 
the student. And when you get expelled from school, it's all over at that point. You find a different school. You don't go back. And that's what happens with the body of sin. It has to be expelled. It has to be done away with. Your pre-conversion body, which is under the power of sin, has to be expelled. Well, why? Why does that have to happen? Well, look at the end here of verse 6. Very last part. Find this so that, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. There it is. Your old self, the old you, the pre-conversion you, is a slave to sin. And God cannot have you as a child if you are a slave to sin. Those two are mutually exclusive. It can't happen. So the slavery to sin has to be eradicated. And, and how does that happen? Well, what's key number one? Union with Christ. When Christ died 2,000 years ago on Calvary, when Christ died, guess what, Christian? You died with him. Union with Christ. Which means that that slavery to sin was annihilated. So does that mean I don't sin anymore? Well, I have a confession to make. I am a sinner still. I fall short of the mark. Some of you guys might confess the same, I hope. So does this teach that we don't sin anymore? Does this teach perfection since we're dead to sin, since it's killed, since it's expelled? No. And for two reasons I want to point out in the text here. One, verse 6 is not talking about the presence of sin it's talking about slavery to sin. Talking about the slavery to sin being expelled. And, and two, the near context in verse 12 actually gives us a command not to sin, not to let sin reign. So why would Paul give us a command not to sit, let sin reign if he really was teaching us here that we don't sin anymore as Christians were perfect? So in case you were thinking that direction, this is not teaching perfection. Now, if this stuff is making your head spin at this point, that's okay. You're normal. All this talk of death and union and some connection with Christ and somehow this is going to break the power of sin. If this is difficult to process, let me, let me put it to you this way. If you've ever been a dog trainer, if you've ever raised a dog, and you know that one of the most effective techniques in dog training, which I'm not a dog trainer, but one of the most effective techniques is the leash. Okay. It's called the leash principle. And when you put the leash on the dog, the dog does whatever you want. Okay. If they're the right size. And so <laughs> if, if you want the dog to heal, you just yank it and it heals. You say heal. They don't do it. You yank it. It heals. You say stop. You yank it and they stop. Come over here, you yank it over. I mean, whatever you want the dog to do, the leash is your way of leading the dog around. That's a pretty basic concept in dog training. Now, put yourselves in the place of the dog. Okay, you are the dog before you are saved. You are on that leash. And sin holds you up like this and takes you anywhere sin wants to take you. Heal, you heal. Come, you come. Over here, over here. You, you don't have a choice. You're a slave to sin. That leash is on 
And you will do whatever that master tells you to do. When I say, no, you are dead to sin, what that means is this. That leash that is so tight that sin walks you around with, that leash, when you get saved, gets cut. Your slavery is severed. You are no longer at the beck and call of your master, your old master's sin. But now follow me along in this analogy. Do you still have some deep-seated tendencies? Do you still have some habits built in? Do you still have memories that don't just go away at salvation? Do you still have struggles and pressures? Yes, absolutely. And you can even feed those habits and those tendencies in your Christian life. But remember this. Even though your habit may be to come. Even when your master says heal. That leash has been cut. Even though he may say. Look at that billboard. Lust after that image. Oh, did that coworker do that to you? You you should get angry. Come on. Come on. Get angry. Oh, you don't know what's going to happen with that person or that circumstance. Oh, you need to worry. Come on. Worry. Come on. Worry. He can still call. He can still beckon you. But guess what? The leash is not around your neck anymore. And even though your tendency may be, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. That's right. I usually respond this way. I usually get angry. That's what I, oh yeah, this is the pressure I feel to do this. Even though that may be true. Remember that the leash has been cut. And that you are absolutely 100% free To choose not to sin. You need to know that you are dead to sin. And every time sin may call. You can choose to do what's right. And why not? Why not choose to do what's right? When you think about key number three. Know you will live with Christ. Know you will live with Christ. Take a look at verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, have you died with Christ this morning? Are you dead with him? If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So, so far we've seen that believers have a union with Christ. And in this union with Christ, in this unbreakable union, when he died on the cross, you died to sin. The leash was broken. But guess what? In that baptismal pit tonight, you're not going to see us just hold the person under. I hope. Okay. (laughs) You're going to see us pull them up because that's the full thing. It it doesn't just go under. Christ didn't just die and that's it in the story. Christ died and rose up. And guess what? You died to sin and you also rose up because of your union with Christ. You rose up to new life. And I want, you, I want to point out one thing about why I say, no, you will live with Christ in the future tense. That's the way verse 8 says it. We believe that we shall also live with him future tense. It's not so much someday. Someday I'll live with him. Maybe in heaven. That's when I'll really be living with him. 
That's not, that's not the idea here in the passage. The idea is certainty. You will live with Christ. It will happen. It's an immediate future type aspect of if you're dead, if you're in Christ, you will live with him. And granted, it will come to full consummation when you get to heaven someday and you get to be with him face to face. Absolutely. Life will have full consummation at that point. But even now, this life has already begun. And you see this throughout the section. Verse 2, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's Paul's whole point. How shall we still live in it when we have this new life? Verse 4, so we too might walk in newness of life. Born again. Verse 8, we shall also live with him. Verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the way Paul puts it. Because you have a union with Christ, you will reflect Christ in your life. Both now till the time you die and ultimately in glory. Absolutely. And I want to just mention one thing about this life. There's so much that could be said about it, but I want to mention one. It's in verse 10. It says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And because we have a union with Christ, the life that we live should be lived not to self, not to sin, not to that old master who's calling us, but should be lived to God. And you could preach for years on what that means. But look at Christ in the Gospels. Does he not live to do the Father's will? I mean, he's here to do the Father's will. That's it. That's his life. He lives to God. So we have our three keys. The door is now unlocked. Key number one, you had to know. You had to know your union with Christ. Key number two, you had to know that having union with Christ meant he died, you died. That you're dead to sin, that that leash has been cut. You have to know that. And key number three, you have to know about life with Christ. You have to know about these three keys. And the good news is that the door is unlocked. But you're not out of the cage yet. Because you actually have to walk out of the cage. The door may be open. But you're still in there, Christian. And some of you are still in there, trapped by sin. How do you get out? How do you walk out of that door? Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think that this verse is the most important verse in the whole section. It may be the most important verse in your battle against sin. Why? We'll look at it again. It has all the three keys right there. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. There's key number two. The leash has been cut. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. There's key number three in Christ Jesus. There's key number one. So it has all three keys right there in that verse. But that's not why I think it's the most important. What action does it call you to do? How do you actually walk out of that cage? What do you have to do? It's a command right there in the verse. What does it start with? Even so, consider. Consider, hmm, some of your versions may read reckon or count 
Consider means to recognize what is true. Add it up. Calculate it. Ponder it. It's, it's elsewhere used as dwell. Meditate. Let these truths come into your mind. Ponder them. Think over them. That's what it means to consider. Consider is the key that ultimately accomplishes the entire task. You need to get to know Romans 6.11. You want to get a firm foundation? You want to be out of that cage? You want to break the power of, of greed or lust or anxiety or anger or selfishness or pride or whatever vice has you trapped? Then you need to do Romans 6.11. You need to consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And oh, we skip right over that verse. I did. I skipped right over that verse for so much of my life. And I went right to verses 12 and 13. You know why? You know why we skip over that verse? Because we're Americans. That's why. Follow me. Read verses 12 and 13 with me. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And I can hear the complaints now. Preacher, why didn't you just tell us that in the first place? Do not let sin reign. That's so easy. That's so simple. Why all this talk of union and death and life and all these confusing concepts, which I don't quite grasp and I can't see how it all fits together. Why? Why go through that when it's just right here? Do not let sin reign. Seems pretty simple. Why don't you just come up with a slogan? Just say no to sin. Why? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I think you all knew coming in here, at least most of you, that we're supposed to just say no to sin. And we're such Americans. We want our fast food, our fast lane, our fast internet access, our fast track to success. We want a lot of result with a little bit of time and effort. It's the American consumer mindset, is it not? And the Bible knows nothing of that mentality. The Bible knows nothing of fast food, but it talks much of the farmer who works all year diligently for the harvest. But pastor, look at verse 12. Doesn't it say that? I mean, that's the first part I really understood clearly. Do not let sin reign. I mean, how much more crystal clear can you get? Isn't that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. You see, I left a word out when I read it the first time. I wonder if any of you caught me. Let me read it again incorrectly. Verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. What word did I leave out? Therefore. I left out the first word. I left out perhaps the most important word in the whole sentence. And I did it on purpose 
Because that's how we think as Americans. In this American consumer mindset, give me the easiest way, give me the quick way to success, give me the slogan, give it to me and let me go to lunch because I'm hungry right now and I need something quick. Because, yeah, I do struggle with those sins. I do struggle with lust. I do struggle with anger. I am a little bit anxious, quite a bit, actually. And, and you, you, you live that way, and yet I just want the quick fix. And Romans 6 is anything but a quick fix. You know why? Because that word, therefore, you know what that means? It means look back. Look back at everything I've just said. You cannot start verses 12 and 13 with the command. You have to start with the therefore, which means you have to start verses 12 and 13 by looking at verses 1 through 11, by looking at the three keys, knowing your union, knowing you're dead to sin, knowing you have life in Christ, and then looking at verse 11, considering those things, meditating on those things, letting those things fill your mind. That's what you have to bring into verse 12. And you will never accomplish verse 12 ever if you don't know verses 1 through 11. You will never be able to say no to sin without verses 1 through 11. Maybe for a brief season, maybe for a week or two, but you'll be back. You'll be back to that sin. The slogan, just say no, is incorrect. Here's the correct slogan. Say no because you have the three keys and because you are considering them. That's what the therefore does. Say no. Please do. Please say no to sin because you're dwelling and pondering the wonderful truths that are presented to us in those first 11 verses. And it's only then that you can say no. Did you notice each of the keys? What did each key start with? The word no. K-N-O-W. No. That was not my little creative outline. That comes straight from the text. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Or do you not know? And then it talks all about union with Christ. Verse 6. Knowing this. What? That you're dead to sin. That the leash has been cut. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ lives to God, and so should you. It all comes back to knowing. Verse 11, even so, consider. Now, tell me this. Where, where does knowing and considering happen? Where does that occur? It occurs up here. It occurs in the mind. Listen to Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Same word. Consider, meditate, think upon, fill your mind with these things. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind where? On the things above, not on the things that are on earth. It all happens in the mind. This is where the foundation is laid. Knowing and considering the right things. This is how you get out of the cage. But I have a fear. I have a fear that 
some people at Calvary Bible Church spend more time watching TV than they do reading their Bibles. I have a fear that there are people who spend more time filling their minds with the world's thoughts and ways than filling your minds with the truths of God. And that's where the battle's won and lost. Right up here. What goes in here? Do you want to have a solid foundation? Do you want to be free from sin? Do you want to break the power of sin? Do you want to be out of that cage? Then you have to consider and think upon and meditate on God's truth. You have to go to the word and you have to fill your mind with these things. With things like union with Christ. Being dead to sin. If you filled your mind with that all day long, day after day, guess what? When that master calls, come. Come on. You know. You know that, uh uh-uh, that leash has been cut. And I do not have to sin. Those are the things we need to fill our minds with. Here's my challenge to Calvary Bible Church, myself included. Would you take one hour this week, one hour, and buy it back from the world? One hour that would normally be spent on TV or going to the theater or, or surfing the Internet or wherever else the world preaches its sermons to you. If you would take one hour of that time, it's about 10 minutes a day. And instead of doing those things, filling your mind with the world's ways, if you would take that hour and say, no, I'm going to devote this hour to considering the things of God, to considering these truths. That's my challenge. One hour of filling our minds with these wonderful truths. If we want to lay a foundation for our Christian lives, if we want to get out of that cage, if we want to be free from sin, then we have to remember 611. Romans 611, which says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word I thank you for the commands to consider these things, Lord. And I pray for myself and the people here, Lord, that we would be known for our meditation upon your word, for our lingering long over the truths of Scripture, that we would be known as a body who ponders your word. And Lord, I pray that you would fill our minds with it, God, and that we would be taken aback by it, and that we would recognize the freedom we have from sin, and that we would live lives which are characterized by freedom, by breaking the power of sin, and not by lives of consistent stumbling. Lord, we are in desperate need of you to do that in our hearts and our minds. And I pray that you would do that even today. In your name, amen.